Hello, Common Ground, uh, as well as uh, anyone else joining us today, can I just start by saying, it's so good to be back. Um, it, it's January, I know, and this is my first time preaching this year, and I'm really thrilled and excited. Before we do anything, I wanna take a moment just to congratulate Ian and Laura Kruger on the birth of their little, well, not so little, 4.2 kilo baby boy. What a monster. Well done, Laura. Well done, Ian. Congratulations to you both. Can't wait to meet them on the other side of this COVID storm. Anyway, we are in week four of our First Things First series at Common Ground. I'll give you a very quick whistle-stop recap. In week one, we looked at... uh, Jesus, Jesus' works and Jesus' words and how they shape us as a people. We are shaped by Jesus' works, by Jesus' words. We looked at Paulie Morn coached us through a culture of honor, that our family relationships within our church community, and obviously it overflows outward too, are colored by the way which we honor each other. Honor is a distinctive in our relationships together as a church family. Raj, last week, so powerful. Defiant joy in times of despair. That as common grounders, as Christ followers, our joy is not fleeting and based on circumstances, but our, our joy is tethered to Christ. Because of our union with Christ, we have an eternal joy that tempers us in every storm that we face. If you missed any of them, please log on and download them. What a great way to start the year, getting these values, if you will, these, this, this culture, first things first, into you as you launch out in 2021. Next week, Rigby is gonna be preaching. He's gonna be speaking about an overcoming spirit. And as always, Rigby's gonna put courage and faith into us as a church. I cannot wait. Oh, but to today. Today, we're talking about holy ambition. I hope you took your vitamins this, this, uh, this day when you woke up. Um, to be honest, I must say I, I struggled this year in preparing this message around ambition. Everything in me at the moment was saying in my preparation, don't be ambitious. COVID is saying pause. It's gonna be another round in 2021. Many of my friends, many in our church family have taken ill and have taken some big hits in the past, a recent past through COVID. Just this past week, I lost a dear friend and neighbor as well personally. And so, so much of my heart and so much of my being is just saying, just curl up and wait for the storm to pass. The other side is though that we've just celebrated Christmas. And I've been so freshly reminded that Jesus, that God is always at work in our world and even in our own city. Even in trying circumstances, Emmanuel, God is with us. That's what Emmanuel means. That's what Christmas is all about. He is with us. He is in us. Uh, Let's not forget, even, even although the storm and the second wave is raging, we are the people of God. God is with us. He's placed us here in this city, in this very moment. In fact, some of you have relocated to the city just now. Others of us, we are sleeper agents deployed here for decades, but God has put us here for this very moment. And He is at work even in the midst of COVID and He wants to work in and through our lives. And so... Yes, it's true, many of us are gonna be needing support. Yes, it's true, many of us are gonna be the supporters. But I wanna call us as we start this message, as we start this year, to the mission of God that he has for us as common grounders in this city. Our city needs us. Our city needs us 
probably more than ever before. Let's rise up and let's be the church. That said, what are you going to give your life to this year? What are you going to give your life to this year? We're going to be learning from someone, uh, someone who, who lived faithfully, who lived fully and served God powerfully in his city today. We're going to be looking at someone who impacted God's kingdom profoundly, looking at a real risk taker, a genuine city renewer. And we're going to see holy ambition displayed in the life of a man named Nehemiah. We're going to see it though in the context of a city in the throes of a struggle a very real struggle. We're gonna look at, look at how God works through ordinary men and women to renew a city in times of brokenness, in times of despair. And so I think as we look at Nehemiah chapter one, won't you make your way there in your own Bible, in your lounge, in your room, wherever you are, as we journey into Nehemiah chapter one. I'd love to give us a little bit of context. Firstly, the backstory is this. 140 years before what we're about to read was the destruction of Jerusalem. The Babylonians laid siege to Jerusalem and then they destroyed it. Now, decades later, through the years, one by one, God's people returning to God's city. And uh, we pick up the story and the situation in the city of Jerusalem is a hopeless one. Uh, economically, it's dire. Structurally, both structurally in terms of society, but also structurally in terms of the physical buildings of the city, uh, it's a scene out of a post-apocalyptic movie, right? Everything's broken down and nothing is working. Uh, this spiritual ruin in the city, it's a scary place to be in Jerusalem. But Nehemiah is a little bit up the road in a cushy palatial job, in a prosperous city. His career is on track and things are falling into place nicely for Nehemiah. Now we pick up our story, Nehemiah chapter one. Read along in your own Bible with me as we read from verse one. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Let's do that just now. Let's, let, let, we're not gonna fast, but let's pray together. Father, this morning, as we look at your word, would you speak to us today? Would you speak to us today, whether it's morning, whether it's evening, whether we're on our commute, God, join us right now in this place and speak to us. Would you ask God to do that for you? If you're not a Christ follower, maybe pray this prayer. God, would you show me something of who you are and what it looks like to follow you today in this moment? Amen. Okay, so we're looking at the subject of ambition. As Christ followers, well, let me start by saying this. We believe about ambition that ambition is fundamentally a good thing. Do you know that? 
we're not Buddhists in that we don't believe that desire is what's wrong with the world. We don't believe that nirvana is found and achieved by the absence of desire. No, to be human is to desire, especially to be human in a broken world with a sense of eternity in our hearts in the image of a perfect God is to long for things to be made right. And as followers of Jesus, then we're ambitious for that to be true. In fact, James K.A. Smith in his recent book On the Road with St. Augustine, he wrote this. If you keep walking around the phenomenon of ambition, you'll start to note a couple of features. First, the opposite of ambition is not humility. It's sloth, passivity, timidity, and complacency. We like to sometimes comfort ourselves by imagining the ambitious are prideful and arrogant. But those of us who never risk never aspire, never launch out into the deep, get to wear the moralizing mantle of humility. But it's often just a thin cover for a lack of courage, even laziness. Playing it safe isn't humble. We're a people as Christ followers who believe in ambition. That's on the one side. Uh, But on the other pole, I wanna add that ungodly ambition is damaging and destructive to our our very own city. In our city, ungodly ambition has ruined many relationship. It, it, it's, it's caused many people to, to lay aside their integrity in the pursuit of money and power and influence and fame. You see, at the heart of worldly ambition is uh, two pillars, the pillar of domination and the pillar of recognition. The pillar of domination and the pillar of recognition. Domination says, I want to win. I want to climb to the top. I want to make it to the real heights of what I could possibly do. I want to beat everyone else. Domination. Oh, but it's not enough to dominate. No, no, no. There's, there's recognition too, because when I get there, I want everyone else to know that I've done it. It's domination and it's recognition. And, and the truth is, and I know this in my own life, and you probably, if you're being honest, know this for you as well that this doesn't automatically vaporize when you become a Christ follower, does it? Countless examples in the scripture, the one I'll draw attention to is in Luke chapter 22. It's the, the evening of the last supper. Jesus is with his followers. And you know what? His disciples end up in an argument. What are they arguing about? They're arguing about who is going to be the greatest among them. Who's gonna dominate so that everyone else can recognize him? This is during the last supper, just after Jesus has washed the feet of the disciples. At some carnal level, domination and recognition are alive in all of us. But it's interesting that Jesus nowhere says ambition is bad. Rather, when ambition appears, he redirects ambition to a more appropriate end. Jesus, uh, I suppose we'd say Jesus redeems their ambition. He says to them, if you really want to be great, not, not don't desire to be great. He says, if you really want to be great, then become the servant of all. And for us, this is the key issue, is how do we convert worldly ambition alive in all of us into holy ambition, right? It's one of the most important aspects of our followership of Jesus, of our becoming like him, of our discipleship, this transition from worldly ambition to holy ambition. And Nehemiah is someone who really seems to get this right. 
And so let's shift our attention to Nehemiah as we look at this issue of ambition. The first thing I wanna say about Nehemiah before we dive in is I love this guy because he's a human being that you and I can relate to. Nehemiah wasn't a miracle worker. His face didn't glow for hours after he prayed. In fact, when he wanted to to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, if you're new to the Bible, that's what Nehemiah did. That that, that was the big thing Nehemiah did with his life was the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. When when, When it came to that moment in his life, he didn't just fast and pray and then wake up in the morning and the walls were rebuilt. No, he physically had to pick up bricks and grab a spade and rebuild those walls. What I'm saying, is Nehemiah and Nehemiah's life, what I love about him is it's within reach for you and I. For ordinary Christ followers like you and I, Nehemiah's life is in reach. And so we're gonna look at at today at his life in chapter one and we'll see three things that need to happen in the conversion from worldly ambition to holy ambition. Let's go. Number one, we have to have a kingdom vision. We have to have a kingdom vision. In other words, you and I need a vision beyond the boundaries and the concerns of my own life. You need a vision beyond the boundaries and the concerns of your own life. In a world with such a tendency to care about ourselves uh, exclusively over everything else, Francis Schaeffer in his book, The Great the the great evangelical disaster. This is what he had to say. He said, when the Christian church only cares about personal peace and affluence, in other words, personal peace and affluence, that I am happy and that I have enough for those whom I care about. When that happens, personal peace and affluence, the church is fundamentally dead. Why? Well, because that's what everybody wants. There's no gospel in that. There's no Christianity in that. There's no kingdom vision in that. That's what everyone in our city wants. And and Christ follower, when your life is primarily about those two things, how different are you than anyone else in our city? And if we're not different than anyone else in our city, how are we gonna be able to participate and to be a part of the renewal of the city Jesus has placed us in and we've come to love so much? It can't be true of us. It's not true of Nehemiah. Take a look in verse two as he he asks this brilliant question. He asks the question, how is Jerusalem? Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I, I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. Of all the things he could have asked them about, he could have asked them about their family property, maybe even about their fa- his family members, like his own family business. How's my interests going? What is front and center for Nehemiah is God's purposes. Hanani, can God be worshiped in that city? Can God be worshiped in that city? And the answer is a resounding no. Nehemiah had privilege. He had security. He had safety. He was fine. He had what, what I think we can call the good life that we all long for and so many of us live for, but he cared more about God's purposes than his own. Friends, God is looking for people who will lift their eyes beyond the borders and concerns of their own lives to participate in bringing his kingdom to the city of Cape Town. Reminds me of a man who lived uh, centuries ago, a man named William Carey, who was responsible for kind of awakening the world to global mission and, uh, and was a missionary to India himself. 
And he began and started out life as a cobbler's apprentice, right? A cobbler, a shoemaker. And while he struggled, and he really did struggle to make ends meet as a, as a cobbler, he, making shoes, he taught himself in that stage of life other languages for the sole purpose of being able to translate the scriptures so that those who did not have access to the Bible could read the scriptures for themselves, he made a map and he put it on his desktop. Sorry, I mean his wall in his cobbler's office. And while he made shoes, while he mended shoes, he would pray over this map of the world. God, reach the world. God, would you use me? Later, he became a school teacher. And while he was teaching at school, he created the tables of different nations with, with the, the number of the population and the faith of those people so that he could tell others where the greatest need for the gospel was in the world. In 1792, he organized a missionary society and he famously preached these words. He said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. This is clearly ambition. A lot of ambition, but it's holy ambition. It's godly ambition. Everywhere he preached, he preached, enlarge your vision. He, he, he preached, strengthen your stakes and lengthen your tent pegs. In other words, increase the, the influence of your life so that the kingdom of God can come to our world. He was trying to wake up a generation beyond the borders of their own lives to live for the gospel and the people of the world. What is God's kingdom vision for your life in 2021? Oh, if I could climb into your living room, I'd, I'd jump on the couch next to you and ask you, what is God's kingdom vision for your life in 2021? You say, oh, but Luke, it's COVID. I know it's COVID and I know we've got to pay rent and school fees and study and work on relationships. I know, but what is your vision beyond the, the concerns of your own life? Is there something burning in your own heart beyond your own flourishing? There has to be Christ follower. There has to be. God has given us ambition as a good thing to put this world to right. And he's placed us He's placed us as a church as common grounders in this city in this moment. We are those common grounders who are here to fill the city of Cape Town with the message, life, and fame of Jesus. That's who we are. Holy ambition is alive in us. And holy ambition is one of the ways we're gonna see this done in our city. Let me move on. As I said, I hope you took your vitamins this morning. We're talking about the move from worldly ambition to holy ambition. And uh, the first thing we've said is we need a kingdom vision. You have to have a vision beyond the boundaries and concerns of your own life. Take a second and think about it. How is this true for you? What is it gonna look like in 2021? Hey, before we continue, let me also just say, that is my longest point. The next two of the three are a whole lot shorter. So let's move on together. Point number two, you need the crystallization of discontent. The crystallization of discontent. It's the moment when you say something's got to change. It cannot stay the same. It's a spirit of resolve. It's the moment when, as John Tyson speaking about the subject so well said, when uh, the moment when a lifetime of trouble meets someone who says enough. 
this far and no further. That was Nehemiah. Nehemiah came to the place where he said, it's not all right. It cannot stay this way. Something needs to change. I cannot fix it all. But this one thing, I'm gonna do something about it. I'm gonna take on that wall. I think far too often in life, I'm speaking about myself here, but probably similar for you as well, we, we dismiss our discontent. Living in South Africa, it can feel like the need is overwhelming. And, and it is. There's too much for any one person to do. Oh, but the answer isn't do nothing. The answer isn't do nothing. Let's be a people and let's be persons who get with God and who get with Him and we find out, God, what is it that's wrong in my community that I can do something about it and, and draw a line? I think, I think as I preach now, I think of Ruth Lundy in our Weinberg congregation and one of our common good champions as she champions early life. as She's understood the, the life of the first thousand days between conception and a thousand days as she's come to understand through doing the research that what happens in those years that if that infant doesn't get what is needed the building blocks for life for, for, for ever after that there's a cap forever after that they're unable to flourish because of what was missing there and she's become like a champion I know I get weekly emails in my inbox saying Luke what is the church doing about the first thousand days of kids in your community it's, it's this resolve that says something needs to change. Ruth Lundy, I, I can just imagine her in her heart. I'm putting words in your mouth, Ruth, just saying, not on my watch. The city of Cape Town, babies are gonna thrive. This is not gonna happen on my watch. I pray that God would get a hold of you in a similar way. Ordinary men and women, ordinary teenagers, that in discontent, you wouldn't just get distracted with life. And when God, imp God impresses a need on you, that you don't silence it, you don't dismiss it, but you let it drive change in who you are. So if I can uh, let you in a little window into the mind and the heart of a 22-year-old Luke, a youth pastor who had the privilege of uh, preaching and spending a lot of time with uh, teenagers and students who were evaluating how they were gonna live their lives. I had this dream, and I would often say to those who I had the privilege of uh, doing life with and ministry with, as they studied and as they decided what they were gonna give their lives to, that, that you're gonna study and then there's gonna come time for your career. And every month of your life, there's gonna be at least 23 work days, 23 work days in a month. And I said, well, what if you could take 21 of those days and, and you, you live off that? And what if you could take those other two days, day 22 and day 23, one every two weeks, and you could plow your skills back into broken areas of our community. If you were a dentist, you took day 22 and day 23 and you plowed it into fixing smiles in our community. I can't do that as a preacher. I cannot restore people's dignity by giving them their, their, their smile back, but you can. If you're, a, if you're a plumber, plow that into the community, a mechanic, an audiologist, whatever it is that you do. What if you took those days and you plowed them back in your unique area of skill? And you said, this one thing, hey, there's a lot I can't do about, a lot of things I can't fix, but this one thing I can do. And I'm gonna take this issue on. I'm gonna get my colleagues to join me and we're gonna make a difference where we are. I know it seems far-fetched and I know it seems silly, but I still wonder sometimes what would happen in our communities if, if in our churches we lived like this.
Anyway, all that to say, we're talking about worldly ambition shifting to holy ambition. We said we have to have a kingdom vision. Number two, we need the crystallization of discontent. And finally, number three, to take radical sacrificial action toward this. Nehemiah reaches a point where he rolls up his sleeves and he just starts doing what he can. And his first action is the action of prayer as he, as he moves toward God in prayer. Let's look together at how Nehemiah prayed. Verse five. And then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down on me and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I love his resolve. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. Nehemiah says, I confess. He says, I'm owning this wrong. So profound and so important because we live in a society that seems to be allergic and want to refuse any obligations beyond the self. We want to blame someone else for the problems of our day and wait for someone else to do something about it. Not Nehemiah. Nehemiah says, I confess, I'm owning up, I'm on the hook. I'm tying myself to this issue until something is done. I know it's hard. I know we don't want to be tied down. We don't want to take on responsibility in our modern age. But the truth is, society is only going to be changed. Our city will only be renewed when we take responsibility and put down roots and do something about it. And for Nehemiah, for you and I, it starts in prayer. It starts in prayer and he prays dangerous covenant prayers. Verse eight, he says this. He says, please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. That's exactly the reality of what had happened. But, and he knows God's word, if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. He prays, God, but you said, and he quotes the Bible back to God. He knows God and he believes that God can move. And all the whilst he's praying, I think what he's doing and what is happening is his, his discontent is being reorientated around a God who can do something about it. Oh, great God of heaven, when I look down at the city of Cape Town, when I look at Lange, when I look at Bloberg, when I look at South Penn, when I look at M5, God, we have got a problem and we need you to move. And so God, help me to do something. It's something of that is what Nehemiah is praying. And after praying, he moves out and he takes action. He takes a massive risk. He goes before a foreign king and he asks for leave and he asks for assistance in putting this great wrong to right. It took massive boldness. And I think that it was his boldness in time spent with prayer with God, uh, boldness vertically that led to boldness horizontally as well. Three things in converting worldly ambition to holy ambition. We need a kingdom vision, a vision beyond the concerns and the cares of our own lives. How are you doing? How are you doing there? Secondly, we need that moment where we draw a line in the sand. It's the crystallization of discontent. And thirdly, to take radical sacrificial action toward that, 
to putting it towards right. Let's wrap this up together. Holy ambition in Nehemiah led to a massive acceleration in what God did in that city. In fact, in the 52 days we read about in Nehemiah, God did more in 52 days than he did in 52 years before because of this holy, um, this holy ambition within Nehemiah's heart to renew the city. It's a powerful thing when the people of God get gripped with an ambition for what God can do in our communities, in our suburbs, and in our city together as common grounders. Maybe you push back and you say, Luke, but it's not my personality. No, this really is for everyone. It's worth pointing out here, Nehemiah is not a lone ranger. It can look that way because we're seeing the story told from the perspective of Nehemiah. But one of the first things Nehemiah did was he got a team around him. He had men and women and young people and older people together, picking up swords and picking up trowels as they worked together, many of them playing out of position to get this job done. Uh, It took all people in all works of life all of them working together. So all of us are invited. The second thing I wanna say that this really is for everyone, the second reason is because of Christ. Christ who embodied holy ambition and then who reforms us and remakes us in his image. Take a look with me, Hebrews chapter 12, verse two and verse three. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus, Jesus could have sat on that throne. He could have kept enjoying the Trinity, much like Nehemiah could have done the same in the palace. No, he... he, He had a vision. We read there in in verse two that there was a joy that was set before Jesus. There was a joy that Jesus, Jesus had a holy ambition for a restored humanity. He had a discontent with the way things were. And so he stepped out of perfection. He stepped out of the comfort of heaven and he took sacrificial action to do something about it. And he is the pioneer we read there in Hebrews, but he's also the prototype. He is the one, he is the mold in in whom you and I are being made to become like. You were, let me say it this way, You were reborn for this and you are being transformed for this. This is who you really are, a people of holy ambition for the things of God in the city in which he's placed us. And so I wanna call us today, I wanna call us freshly. Let's go all in. It comes a moment, I'm not a huge poker player, but my understanding is there comes a moment in every poker game where you've got to go all in. All in for following Christ. All in for living for his kingdom. It's not just for the priests. It's not just for the common good champions. This is for all of us. And so, and so seniors, what does it look like to live with holy ambition in your retirement years for you? What does it look like to holy, have holy ambition in your retirement? Oh, to young men and women, teenagers, as you prepare for your career, come on, don't settle. Don't settle. Don't settle for just living for the good life. Get a holy ambition for what God can do through you in this city and in his world. Parents, 
I, I speak as a preacher here, but I also speak as a parent. We, we, we need to teach our children to think like this. It's so tempting to be conservative, making sure that our little tribe has all that we need. But let's raise children who have a, a big vision of who God is and what God can do in the world and what God can do through their lives. What if you took some wrong in your community and you said to your kids, you said to your family, this thing in our community is wrong, it's not just. And we as a family, we can't fix everything, but we're gonna do something about this one thing. We're gonna pray continuously, we're gonna give sacrificially, and we're gonna live toward putting this end to right. What kind, of, what kind of lasting legacy would that have on the children that we're raising? You say, Luke, but it's 2021. Don't you know it's COVID? I know it's COVID. I know for sure. I feel the fatigue. I feel the uncertainty. I feel personally the grief as well. But I also know that if we can do it in 2021 of all years, jeez, man, we are set up to crack on for the rest of our lives. So let's take it on. Let me ask you, will you join us in asking God for holy ambition this year? Let's get with God with a kingdom vision. As we land, let me give the final words to James K.A. Smith. I quoted him earlier, speaking about ambition, so powerful. This is what he says in his book, On the Road with St. Augustine. He says, resting in the love of God doesn't squelch ambition. It fuels it with a different fire. I don't have to strive to get God to love me. Rather, because God loves me unconditionally, I am free to take risks, to launch out into the deep. I am released to aspire to use my gifts in gratitude, caught up in God's mission for the sake of the world. Let's pray together. Father, we stand before you as common grounders, as as guests looking in as well. And we say, God, we acknowledge that our city is broken and uh, there's much work to be done. We don't wanna be those who are just living for our own flourishing. God, would you give us a holy ambition? Give us a shared corporate ambition as a church around filling the city of Cape Town with the message, life, and fame of Jesus. But I also pray God, give me, a, give me a family. Give me a personal vision. Give me, a, give me something in my community that I can take on. Give me an angle in my vocation within my unique skill set where I can do something to further your kingdom in this city, in this moment. I pray too, God, for those who are just look, looking in right now in, in, in the kind of devastation in the wake of COVID as well, though, Lord. Who just, for whom right now this is just one step too far. And actually, Jesus, I pray right now, more than anything, you would move towards them in comfort. And you would move towards them by your grace, meeting them in their homes now. That, Father, you would rouse us as a body to care, to, to, to honor each other, to care for one another, to love, uh, to love intentionally on one another in this moment. And all the whilst, God, you would rouse your church in holy ambition that the city of Cape Town would be renewed because of Christ followers in this community who serve you. Amen.